Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners, and thanks for dropping into another episode. This is episode 111. My guest in this episode is Gene Chayevsky. Gene, someone that I've had the good fortune of getting to know and work with and help him identify franchise opportunities and conduct the research that was needed to ultimately, in Gene's case, go on and become a multi-unit franchisee with a boutique fitness concept. Um, I wanted to have Gene on the podcast for a couple of reasons. One, he's just a really good guy. You know, We've become friends at this point, and I have a lot of respect from Gene. I've learned a lot from him myself, and so I know that a lot of what he shares in this episode will be beneficial for the listeners as well. But I also think his story will resonate with many of you listening to this podcast. As Gene shares, he's got an extensive background in corporate America, working across a variety of industries, including investment banking and private equity, um, you know, turned around companies, built companies. So I thought it would be really interesting to have Gene share a little bit of his experience and, you know, why he got to the point in his life and career that, you know, he felt business ownership was going to be a better direction for him to go in versus, you know, continuing to work at a very high level in the corporate world. And so Gene shares a little bit of, you know, what it was that really motivated him to, you know, start looking around at different opportunities and ultimately, you know, really take a deep dive into franchise ownership. Um, Gene talks a little bit about the process that he went through of researching some of the brands that we had identified and some of the criteria that he had, which, you know, as you'll hear was a pretty, you know, steep list of criteria, almost, you know, too good to be true type of criteria, but he was able to find a franchise that he has a lot of confidence in uh, and, and is very excited to build his franchise business with that brand. So, um, I think there's a lot of really good information that you'll get from Gene. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and drop in with Gene Chayevsky. Hey, now, Wes, uh, real pleasure. Real pleasure. Um, I wish I met you earlier. But, um, well, such is life. Such is life. But no, it's it's been a lot of fun. And, and I mean it when I say, you know, I've learned a lot getting to know you. And one of the things I definitely want to, you know, have you share with the audience today is just some of the the due diligence work that you did on the different franchises that you were evaluating. And, you know, this is a standard part of, of you know, franchise research, right, is you've got to do a thorough due diligence and and the really good brands out there should have a very structured process that you're able to work through with them to gather information and get answers to questions. But I've told you this before, and, and it's true. 
I don't think I've ever seen anyone do a more thorough due diligence and assessment, you know, of the franchise businesses that they were looking at. And, you know, that's one example from, you know, your career uh, where I think, you know, it translated pretty well to to the world of franchising and and how to really take a deep dive and look at these companies and and get the information that you needed. So um that's something I want to make sure, you know, we we pick your brain a little bit on today. But, you know, before we course, go there, you know, maybe just kind of give us a, a quick introduction and and a little bit of your background, because you do have an impressive resume, um, done a, been very successful in, in a new numerous different ventures over the course of your career. So, you know, pre-franchise ownership, kind of give us a rundown of, um, you know, what you've done up to this point in your life and career. No, of course. Thanks. Thanks, Wes. Very kind of you. Well, look, I've had uh, over 30 years of uh, this business stuff to uh, try to be successful, and I'm still working hard at it. But look, uh, as I think I mentioned to you when we met, you know, I'm actually a refugee, right? My family was a refugee from the former Soviet Union. Uh, We were able to get out of that uh, difficult, dark place, uh, and I had the fortune of growing up in New York. Um, went to a Columbia College, spent some time in Cambridge in the UK, which is a lot of fun. While I was a kid, and even in college, I thought I was going to be a doctor or a dentist. A lot of my family members, even my wife, was a dentist. Right, mm-hmm. so a lot of my family were doctors or dentists, and that's sort of all I knew. I worked in my dad's dental office when I was a kid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I had an epiphany uh, when I was maybe a. Uh, you know, sophomore in college. And uh, that epiphany was uh, driven by me locking eyes with a lab technician mm. in a chemistry lab. And that dude looked so miserable and oh. so scary. My whole life flashed before my eyes, and I just realized that I couldn't do it. Mm. So I dropped chemistry and tried economics. And, you know, the rest is history. So I kind of, Columbia didn't offer finance back then. So I uh, I was an economics major and uh, went and uh, started my career in investment banking. Uh, yeah. Which was quite, quite typical at that time. It's such a cool story. And and I want to hear, you know, more about your, your career, you know, once you got into investment banking. But, you know, I'm curious, was it, was it hard for you to, kind of wrap your head around this epiphany that you had, you know, if you were kind of raised to, to, you know, want to be a doctor or, you know, something in that, that kind of medical space, was it hard for you to come to grasp with this epiphany of, Hey, I don't think that's the direction I actually want to go in. Or or was it hard for you to break that to your family? You know, if, if that was kind <laughs> of the dream that they had for you, was that difficult? Uh, you know, I honestly don't recall, uh, the degree of difficulty in terms of the family conversation, but you know, the epiphany started uh, gently. I just took an economics class. Yeah, <laughs> took an economics class um, with a guy who was a very famous economics professor at Columbia, who ended up being the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Oh, really? A guy called Sunil Gulati, who did a lot for U.S. soccer. Okay. Um, and I did well in that class, so that kind of showed me that. You know, I have a knack for this kind of stuff, and it was quite interesting. Um, and then I really never looked back. You know, I never looked back. I, I started getting involved in, I started reading uh, The Economist, for example. I started mm-hmm. 
learning about business. I, I was very interested in international affairs. And, you know, that that came naturally. You know, my mom told me that uh, my grandfather, who I never knew, who died before I was born, was sort of a kind of an entrepreneurial guy. Okay. You can imagine you could be an entrepreneurial guy in the Soviet Union. You could do it anywhere, right? Uh, it's it's much harder to do it then. Uh, but she said, look, it must be your genes. You know, that must be your fate. You know, you must be uh, just like your grandpa. And from that standpoint, I said, ah, okay, now I understand Maybe where the epiphany came from. And then it was kind of easy. And then I kind of never looked back. And then I kind of thought, thought of myself as sort of a, a business person. Yeah. Well, credit to you for, you know, realizing that at a, at a pretty early age and actually taking action on that because, you know, in, in my line of work, right, I, I talk to so many people that, you know, are at various stages in their lives and their careers. And I, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I talk to that, you know, have spent 15, 20, 30 years in a career that they're absolutely miserable in. And, you know, they've known for a very long time that they want to do something different. Um, doesn't always end up that, you know, owning a franchise is the right direction for them to go in. But, you know, my point is there's a lot of people out there that kind of just settle because, you know, it, it was the vision they had for themselves at one point in time or it was someone else's vision for them. And, you know, they they just spend a huge chunk of their life doing something that they really don't enjoy. And, and they know that, but uh, for whatever reason, you know, they never actually took any action. So, um, you know, it sounds like it, it, it worked out really, really well in your case, but I, I think, you know, the, some credits do right for you being able to recognize that and, and actually take some steps to, to kind of change course. Well, listen, uh, that was my first epiphany, right? And I haven't had an epiphany until another epiphany until 2022. So, you know, so I went into investment banking, right? Um, I worked overseas. I worked in London. I started the Morgan Stanley office in Russia when Russia wasn't a fascist dictatorship that it is today. That was an interesting time in the 90s with Boris Yeltsin. So I got to be a pretty senior guy pretty early on. And then I moved into entrepreneurship. I had my first uh, dot-com company in the year 2000 during the dot-com boom. Mm -hmm. Of course, now everybody calls those companies dot-bombs because most of them failed, as <laughs> did mine, of course. Yeah. Um, then, you know, I, I became a CEO of another technology company, right? Kind of pursued my entrepreneurial interests, then went into private equity for many, many years. Um, and that's what brought me to Atlanta. I left New York for Atlanta to kind of run one of our portfolio companies that needed some help. Uh, and after, you know, I was able to sort of sell that business about 10 years ago, uh, I created a company called KLW Capital, which is my personal vehicle. KLW are kind of the first initials of the names of my three children. Uh, in fact, I couldn't name the company. I couldn't decide on the name of the company until my last child was born and I had to wait for him to be born to choose the name before I could really finalize the name of the company. It all happened about the same time. I love that. <laughs> so, um, and then I started sort of uh, just managing my own portfolio and looking for other opportunities. I always thought that, you know, I wanted to be or continue to be, you know, an operating CEO, you know, have a business that I own together with, say, a private equity partner, work hard and build value. Um, and I probably should have stopped this earlier than I did. 
last year I had a big epiphany that I'm no longer willing to do that. Mm. I'm no longer interested in, you know, doing a typical executive CEO, 80 hour week thing, you know, 25, 30% of your time traveling. Yeah. I tapped out no mas. I couldn't do it. I didn't want to do it. I could do it. I didn't want to do it. Sure. You know, my health yeah. wasn't where I thought it needed to be. Uh, everything wasn't where I needed it to be. Uh, and I wish, like I said, I wish that you and I met earlier and I wish I was a little bit more open-minded a little bit earlier in my career about, uh, you know, franchising. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in 2022, I did make that decision to look at a more sustainable way of life while still being an entrepreneur and still yeah. building wealth. And franchising ended up being a perfect fit for me. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this this realization that you came to, you know, having all the success that you've had in, you know, let's call it the the corporate arena, right? Um, I think it's very normal that someone with your type of background, you know, would never really give a whole lot of thought to owning franchises, right? Because it's in, in many people's minds, it's, you know, it's, it's small, right? It's not, it's not the type of vehicle that you can, you know, build into a a really substantial business. And, you know, depending on the types of franchises that may come to mind, you know, for someone that hasn't really delved into it and, and looked at the many different types of businesses that are out there in franchising, Um, I just think it's pretty normal from what I see that, you know, someone with with your type of resume wouldn't have given it a ton of thought. It's completely normal. Completely normal. Wes, I've been before I responded to, you know, your outreach on LinkedIn, I ignored, you know, three, four, five other sort of pieces of outreach that came my way on LinkedIn (laughs) over the past five years like I would get an e-message promising me that uh, this is an interesting thing to consider and that was the end of it right <laughs> and just because I because you happened to catch me at that right time yeah uh, last year I said to myself I'm not ignoring this one well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it was me one. that I'm glad it was me that hit you with the the cold outreach at the right time. Um <laughs> me too. It's, me too. it's been a lot of fun getting to know you and and you know helping in the process, but yeah, I think you know one of the things that that I think would be really valuable to get your perspective on um you did what I encourage, you know, almost everyone that I work with through my process um, which is, you know, you kept a pretty open mind, right? You didn't come into this like, all right, Wes, this is the type of business that that I see myself being in. So I only want to look at, you know, businesses in this industry or this sector. Um, you were looking at you, you had looked at some stuff kind of on your own, you know, that weren't necessarily brands I'd introduced you to. Um, and then, you know, brands that I did ultimately end up introducing you to. You know, you looked at a at a fairly wide range in terms of different types of businesses, but they all had certain things in common. So you had some criteria that you knew was important to you. Um, and that those were some of the first things that you and I talked about. And then it was up to me to go back and, you know, bring you some intelligent recommendations that I felt confident, you know, could 
meet the criteria that you had set for. So do you mind sharing a little bit of, you know, what the criteria was for you that, that ended up, um, you know, being kind of the, the filter that, that we looked at these different types of franchises through? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Well, look, um, and I would say I would separate those filters into two categories. The first category was just sort of a conceptual category of what I was looking for, my wish list. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second was, you know, more well-defined once I kind of understood that that wish list is in fact possible uh, and something that would uh, help me evaluate things and help in our discussions of opportunities for me. So look, the the three things that I needed or wanted from a franchise, one was I needed that franchise business to generate or have the capacity to generate high current income, right? And that high current income component is basically, you know, a substitute for a very high executive, you know, CEO type salary. Right. Yep. Right. So that's important. Uh, the second was that I generally th- throughout my career have been less focused on, you know, sort of current income and more focused on the opportunity to create value and wealth. Right. So equity. Equity, exactly. So that business had to have the ability to get big and to be valuable. Yep. So that my time is invested not just for generating current income, uh, but to build wealth. And third thing uh, that became my criteria after I had this epiphany, Wes, was that I just was no longer willing to be a 60 to 80 hour a week executive. Right. You know, when I started out at Morgan Stanley, I was a hundred hour a week analyst. Then I was a 90 hour a week associate. Then I became, you know, an 80 hour a week CEO after 30 some odd years. You know, enough is enough. That adds up. Yeah. Especially with all the travel, it's it wears on you. I know it does. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's just not something that needed to happen at this point in my life. Um, so whatever I invested on the franchise side it needed to give me leverage. So I thought that I needed to look at franchise concepts that would allow me not to work in the business full-time, right? So more of an executive model where I would be an executive chairman rather than CEO. I still would be active. I would still be the CFO because based on my background that I would do in my sleep, right? But not the CEO or CEO. I needed to spend much less time on this business than even 40 hours a week. Yep. So those are the three key parameters. And then, you know, I was agnostic, like you said, in terms of industry. So I was open-minded because I think of myself as a generalist, right? I've been involved in lots of different industries. Yep. Banking, private equity, uh, software, cybersecurity, gambling, real estate, <laughs> Um, I think of myself purely as a guy who generates EBITDA and equity value. Yeah. And how I generate that is, you know, a a separate, more tactical question. Depends on the opportunity. So I was definitely open in terms of industry. Yeah. Uh, And I knew that I wasn't going to make a decision based on my own personal tastes. I like this industry or I don't like that industry. Uh, I was going to make my decision based on these formal factors. And then, you know, once we, then, of course, as I thought more about it, right, I thought more about it. Uh, we talked about the executive model of ownership, where I could still be the owner, still contribute 
but not have it be an all-consuming thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, when I looked at uh, the type of business I want, uh, I wanted a business that had you know high revenue potential. Okay, I wanted a business, and for me, high revenue potential businesses, you know, million dollar plus, mm-hmm. you know, per unit or per territory, something yep. like that. Uh, I wanted a business that has high gross margins because uh, high gross margin businesses, of course, are valued more highly by the market. And I know that whatever I build at some point, I may want to sell all or part of that business. Yep. Right. So just based on my private equity um, sort of experience, uh, I always like to look, see businesses with gross margins above 70% and EBITDA margins above 30%. So that was my kind of wish list. I didn't know if it was going to be possible, but that was at least my theoretical wish list. Um, of course, the businesses need to be scalable because I didn't want to invest in a small business. Sure. Because that may provide some income, but doesn't really generate equity. Um, I wanted the revenue model in that business to be a recurring revenue model. So not like a software SaaS business model, not a one-time sale. Yep. Uh, and as you know, we discussed, there are franchise concepts that provide you with membership or subscription revenues, which is you know, pretty attractive. I wanted the upfront cost per location to be relatively low so that, again, it allows me to scale and it makes it easier to raise debt uh, to scale the business. Um, tactically, I, of course, wanted the business, and then I realized later that it really needed to be, that business really needed to be close to my hometown. I live in Atlanta right now. So just practically speaking, if I wanted a critical mass of franchise locations, I had to go with a brand that happened to have a critical mass of locations available in Metro Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Right. Which can be it's, tough, right? That that can be one of the hardest parts of this, especially if if you're you're focusing all of your efforts on more mature seasoned franchise brands and you live in a market like Atlanta can be very tough to find good viable territory that's still available exactly. and and, exactly. and enough of it if if you know one of your goals is to build a substantial business over time exactly so that becomes you know one of the biggest uh, sort of limiting factors to some extent of what yeah. is viable what's not viable um and you're right from what i've learned in my research um from what you've told me from what others have told me Atlanta together with Dallas and a few other major metros are always the top metro areas for almost any franchise concept. Yep. <laughs> so they do sell out first. Yep. But as you know, as I'll tell you later, as we'll talk about, you know, you'll see, you know, that I got a little bit lucky where the brand that I decided to go with actually had that, you know, available, um, had those available locations. That was good. And of course, the final thing that almost goes without saying, but you know, I didn't know most of these businesses that I was looking at from a franchise perspective. So it was clear. And one of the reasons why franchising is attractive is that you're not starting a business from scratch. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to make all the same mistakes. You have a very capable, supportive, experienced partner, the franchisor, who can help you avoid mistakes, who can give you the playbook, uh, and who can really ensure that you can launch and operate properly. So I was looking for a team that I felt would be very much vested in my success and a team that had the capability, experience, and the culture 
of really focusing on you know franchisee the franchisee experience and the profitability of the franchisee business right and i found that you know in the brand that uh, you know i ended up going with so those are my kind of very specific criteria now look if you kind of look at that you'd be like dude that sounds like too good to be true <laughs> right like like you want everything how's that even possible and you're right it does sound like it as I think about it, it is almost too good to be true. But, but <laughs> you helped me sort of figure out that there are a bunch of concepts that are fine concepts and that may be very appropriate for lots of people, but uh, wouldn't be appropriate for me given these uh, kind of hard filters. And, yeah. you know, I thank, and I thank you for, you know, pointing me towards the concept of boutique fitness, okay, as one area in the franchising world that actually meets, you know, most of the, these criteria if done right. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that, that, you know, I think you had a natural understanding of, you know, as we were working through this process, cause yeah, I mean that, that criteria, it, it does almost sound too good to be true, but you know, through all of your experience, through building businesses and, and, you know, really focusing on, you know, EBITDA and and creating value, as you said. And I know in some cases, you know, businesses that you've come in to run, you were kind of doing a turnaround, right? So yeah. you had this natural understanding that, you know, hey, when it comes to a franchise, I just need to be able to feel confident that the potential is there, you know, for for these goals that I have to be realized. But it but I also have to execute. Right. Because that's one of the challenging things when when you're researching a franchise business, right, is, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to speak to other people that are already franchise owners in that brand. And you can learn a lot from them, including, you know, what type of financial performance is realistic. Right. But any franchise system out there, you know, they're going to have this bell curve. Right. They're not all going to be top performing franchisees. Right. So you were able to, you know, as you were doing the research on these different brands, get a sense of what the potential was, but also get a sense of, okay, well, you know, what's going to be required of me as the owner to execute and max this thing out, right? Versus come in and and be like a C player where, you know, I'll still probably do okay, but that's not what I need to hit these types of goals that that I've laid out. Of course, no. You're right, right, Wes. I mean, this is isn't not a sure thing. It's not like, hey, uh, any sort of franchise system or an industry like boutique fitness will definitely generate these sorts of opportunities. Uh, the criteria I gave you were independent of boutique fitness. It was just yeah, a general yeah. sort of wish list for me. Yep. Uh, but based on that diligence, uh, I did get to a point where I felt comfortable that if I were a top performing franchisee in that space i could hit these goals um you know over time yep and if i didn't think that i could be a top performing franchise i wouldn't do it yep um right or wrong i do expect uh to be a top performing franchisee in this business yeah and i want to talk more about why that is right but before we go there If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize 
that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out, and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected, and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. And before, because I do want you to tell tell the audience the brand that you've invested in, assuming you're you're okay with that. But um, before we go there, like a couple other things that I would spotlight for you, uh, you know, with everything that you just kind of talked about, a couple of things that you did really well going through the process. And, and I think these things really just came naturally to you. Whereas I know with some people that I work with, it's a bit counterintuitive and I really have to, you know, try to give some coaching around this. But, you know, you mentioned you were kind of industry agnostic, right? Which, you know, one of the the single biggest pieces of advice I can give to anyone as we set out on this process is please keep an open mind about the type of business that you would be willing to consider and learn more about. Doesn't mean you have to keep an open mind with the criteria of what's important to you in a business. You shouldn't have to negotiate on that or, or shouldn't have to negotiate on it too much. But the more you're willing to keep an open mind in terms of the types of businesses you'd be willing to consider, the higher the likelihood you're going to find something that's a really good fit and, and does meet you know most, if not all, of your, your most important criteria. So you did a really good job of that. And, and you know, because of your your background, you know, you have been in a lot of different industries. So you had confidence in yourself that, hey, you know, drop me into any industry where there's a good, you know, business model. And, and you know, in the case of a franchise, there's good systems and processes in place. Like I'll be able to execute and I'll be able to get results. But, you know, I see this a lot of times with people that, you know, maybe have spent the majority of their career in one particular industry. But, you know, if they're an executive, right, where so much of their time has been spent you know, building and managing teams and looking at metrics and, you know, essentially trying to drive, you know, stronger bottom lines and and higher revenues, that skill set can translate to just about any executive model franchise where that's really the primary role of the owner. 
doesn't matter what the industry is, right? But sometimes people get hung up on that a little bit, like, you know, fitness, right? Wes, I don't have any experience running a fitness business. So how could this be a good fit for me? Well, what you did a really good job of understanding, and, you know, it's my role to help people understand this if it doesn't, you know, click as easily for them is you need to focus more on what is your role as the owner in a particular franchise business really meant to be, right? Not what does the business do, right? Because the vast majority of franchises out there, they are designed to scale, right? And what that means is the franchisor is not really sitting around looking for franchisees that are necessarily experts in whatever the widget is, right? Because they don't really want their franchisees on the front lines, you know, being the actual one providing or facilitating whatever product or service the the business provides to their clients, right? And in some cases, you know, the owner needs to be a little more involved in the beginning and be willing to be really hands-on. But long-term, you know, the, the reason franchising works in the first place is franchisors want their franchisees to scale, right? And in order to scale, they've got to remove themselves from, you know, being too heavily involved in the day-to-day and and especially from, you know, being out there on the front line. So again, I think you did a really good job with that. I think that kind of came naturally to you, but um, that's something I know some people get hung up on. So I just wanted to spotlight yeah. that. Um, and, and the other thing I would say is you, you did a really good job of you, you made my job very easy in this whole process. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reason for that is you had a clear vision, right? You came into this with a vision, right, of what it was you were looking to build and what you wanted to accomplish. And if you were going to find the right franchise, it needed to facilitate this vision of yours. And, you know, that's the first thing that I, you know, really try to focus on with anyone that I work with through this process is, you know, where are you today, but where are you looking to go? And, you know, it may surprise a guy like Eugene, but a lot of people out there haven't really put a lot of thought into that. They may know they're not super happy where they are <laughs> currently, and they know they want some sort of change, but they haven't put a ton of thought into, okay, well, what does better look like, right? Or what are the goals that I'm really working towards? And I mean, you know, you hear this this type of thing all the time, but like without without a destination, you're kind of just, you know, flying in the dark. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, Wes, I think... I think a lot of people know that they're not on the right path, let's say. But, and this happened you know, to me to some extent, right? Uh, leading up to that epiphany is that you you know that you should be thinking about it, but you just stuck, right? Yeah. You're just too busy working, right? You're just yeah. barely keeping your head above water and you got to do it. Uh, and that prevents you from taking the time. That's why, you know, sort of personal fitness is so important. Health is important. Mental health is important. Nutrition is important to be able to give you that capability to actually take a step back and, you know, look at stuff. But look, for me, uh, you know, one of the reasons why this type of business, say boutique fitness was comfortable is because I've been involved in many service businesses uh, over the years. And a service business um, can be, any service business can be broken down into two parameters. They're all the same. Okay, each service business has two, two businesses, sub-businesses. One sub-business is the sales business. Mm-hmm. 
you sell your service and you win customers. And there are best practices of how to win customers. They're sophisticated sales systems. And in my previous company, we were very, very big on adopting and customizing for ourselves, you know, very, very sophisticated sort of B2B sales systems. Mm-hmm. So I've always been focused on sales. In fact, you know, when I started my career in investment banking, I was uh, a coverage officer, right? I was selling the services of Morgan Stanley to customers. So was I a banker? Not really. I was, I was a sales guy. Yeah. You're selling the right? bank services. You're selling the bank services. You're managing customer relationships. You're selling services. No investment banker is going to call themselves a salesperson. Okay. And you're not, you know, you, you're selling to, you know, CEOs, owners, you know, heads of state, but you're still selling. Sophisticated sales. You're not selling yeah. Cutco knives, but exactly. still selling, exactly. right? Although I did, I did sell Cutco knives when I was in high school, by the way. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> but <laughs> you were you were probably damn good at it, if I had to guess. Uh, uh, well, I I didn't do it for a long time, but it was fun. <laughs> but look, so 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 I'm sort of I have a lot so I have a background in sales. So that's a sales business. And if uh, you put together a team that knows how to sell, specifically a particular product, let's say in this case, fitness memberships, right? It's a well-known system how to do it. You just do yeah. it. You ensure. Yeah that you have the right team. And then if you do the right activities, follow the right system, the results will come. Wonderful. The second part of the business, of any service business, is to deliver the widget, like you said. And if you deliver the widget well, or you deliver the service well, you will retain your customer and minimize churn. And then there's a whole set of best practices designed to deliver a service. You have subject matter experts, delivering the service, in this case, trainers. And then you have also best practices of how to manage the relationship with a customer to make sure they're happy with that service to minimize churn. So a person who's been in a professional services business, a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, anybody, right, who intuitively understands that there's the element of selling the business and then delivering the business and maintaining customer satisfaction, they can get it to any service business and it's the same. Yes. It's the details are different, but everything else is the same. The core competencies are the same. You just need slightly different subject matter experts to deliver this the service. But whether you're an accountant delivering accounting services or a lawyer delivering legal services or a trainer delivering fitness services, it's the same. Yeah. So well put. And and I love the way that you break that down. And and this is how people need to be thinking about it, right? If they're you know, really serious about exploring franchise businesses and seeing if if there's one out there that's a good fit for them. That's how they need to be thinking about it. You know, there there's exceptions, right? There's what I call the buy yourself a job type of franchises out there where, yeah, you need to be, you know, probably somewhat passionate as the owner about what it is that you're doing because it's just a a different type of business model. The the scalability is not not really there and and there's people out there that those types of franchises are a great fit for, but the vast majority, uh, you should be thinking about it exactly the way that you just laid it out. Um, and and again, this is where like if you've had a successful corporate career, because um, you know as you said, it's it's selling the services and then it's facilitating the delivery of the services. Depending on the business, you just need you know the right subject matter experts. 
generally speaking in the franchising world, that's not that that doesn't need to be you as the franchise owner, right? At least in the beginning, right? Like you don't need to come into this being the subject matter expert. What you do Absolutely need to, to be able to do though is is to be able to build and inspire a good team of people, right? And I mean, any successful executive, doesn't matter what industry we're talking about, you know, that's probably played a huge role in and what's led to the success that they've had is their ability to build and inspire teams of subject matter experts for whatever it is their business is providing to the customers. And so, you know, that's really the way, you know, I would encourage people to look at this and, and you know, stay a little more agnostic on what the industry is. You know, in your case, and and I want you to tell tell the audience what the brand is here in a minute. You know, we were able to find something that you know I I think you're pretty excited personally about the services that you'll be providing to your clients. So I think we were really able to find kind of a win win scenario where not only your your key business criteria, you know, you're confident that that this business will meet all of that. But it's it's one that I think you know you're going to have a lot of fun with too, and and it's something that you can be proud of, and um, you know probably partake in the services yourself. Whereas that's not always the case. Like look at the types of franchises my wife and I own. You know, <laughs> custom shelving, custom closets, insulation. Like not not the funnest thing to talk about, right? Like we don't we don't turn many heads when we go out to a dinner party and and talk about our insulation business, right? Um, <laughs> So you're you're in kind of what I would call a, a sexier business than what we are. So I think that's always you know great when you can find a combination of those things. But you know, tell tell the listeners what the brand is that that you're now a franchisee with, and you know, as much as you're comfortable sharing, you know, what were some of the the key things that you know got you excited about it and and helped you feel like it was a good fit? Yeah, yeah, of course. No, look, I'm happy to share, and I was very very happy, in fact, that our our um, investigation turned up, you know, boutique fitness as an area to focus on because of uh, many things that a business person could be focused on. If a business, if a business person, entrepreneur who is a generalist, you know, right, can fulfill their requirements, business requirements, with something that is fitness related, you know, nutrition related or health related, wellness related. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, because they will end up actually leading. A much healthier and more pleasant life. Yeah. So, so I'm very happy that uh, fitness was the area that actually turned that turned out to be the right for me, rather than insulation, as an example. Yeah. Um, you know, no offense there, but no, look, I'll, uh, um, I'll be the first to admit um, it's it's not not the sexiest business to be in, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. But look, um, the the brand that uh, I ended up choosing uh, is a brand called Body Twenty. Okay. And Body 20 provides a super efficient and a technology enhanced workout through personal training. Okay. To a fairly high end clientele membership base. Yep. Uh, And what's absolutely unique about this is that in one to two sessions a week of 20 minutes each, that workout can provide most people with what they need to meet their fitness goals and their sort of goals for overall, you know, body recomposition. Yep. Which is quite incredible. Um, 
the technology that Body20 uses uh, is called electric muscular stimulation. Uh, that technology has been around for a long, long time in the medical field where mm -hmm. doctors and physical therapists use it to enhance recovery after uh, injuries, after surgery. Yep. Um, this technology has been widely in place commercially in uh, Europe and in uh, large countries and large markets like Brazil, but it's quite new in the United States. And Body20 will be the largest and the most dominant franchise uh, for this type of training in the country. Why did and it, in fact, the world. Why did it take longer for adoption in the U.S.? Uh, it took a little bit longer um, because uh, it, well, I think that, you know, the entrepreneur who brought this to the U.S. market uh, got involved with it, you know, about four years ago, four or five years ago. Uh, and because it's sort of a medical device, if you will, right. it needed FDA approval. Yep. So that took a little bit longer. And then, of course, COVID got in the way. Right. So while the brand could have grown dramatically starting in the year 2000, um, you know, we had to wait for a few years to get to, to dramatic growth. Uh, and in fact, 2023 will be sort of a year of meteoric <laughs> growth for this brand and beyond. So we're I'm kind of getting in at a very, very good time uh, where there are a large number of locations already opened but still limited on a national scale. I think it had about 18 locations open at the end of 2022. Sounds and we'll right. probably have about 100 locations open. That's the goal by the end of 2023. And it has been, as I think, Wes, you mentioned, and the guys in corporate mentioned that it has been a real sales leader last year in the boutique fitness concept. Yeah. Uh, so it's clear that this model, the business model, the brand the workout, the technology is really, really resonating uh, with people. And what's also really interesting is that a lot of franchisees like myself, a lot of even employees of the brand uh, got introduced to the brand maybe by accident, <laughs> um, tried the workout yeah. as customers. Yeah. And quickly transitioned from just being customers or members of the studios to either being an owner, where that was possible, or in fact, you know, being an employee, where yeah. that was, uh, you know, the viable path. So that was really, really good to see. Um, and look, I felt that Body20, and I compared Body20 with another very large dominant brand in boutique fitness that was excellent. That was really, really excellent. Yeah. Uh, and it was a bit of a close choice. I went through serious processes with both of the brands. But at the end of the day, you know, I did feel that Body 20 was the best fit for me because of a couple of things. One, I did validate that if I can be as good an operator as I think I could be with this business, that this business can meet or at least come close to meeting my, you know, too good to be true investment criteria. Yeah. Um, and I was very, I was definitely able to get comfortable uh, with the corporate culture, right, with the experience of the owners and the senior executives in both entrepreneurship and in franchising specifically. Yes. 
uh, the folks at Body20 have had dramatic success in their careers. And the team is now chock full of people with very, very substantial franchising careers and success with big, big brands. Yeah. Uh, like Hand in Stone, like Exponential Fitness, uh, like Orange Theory. So that got me very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, so that even though this was, you know, a new brand, and even though this training protocol was new outside of the medical uh, realm in the U.S., even though it was very well established, um, you know, I decided to take a risk. Right? I decided to take a risk and to kind of go in big with an initial commitment of uh, opening seven studios, seven by 20 studios in Metro Atlanta within the next four years. Although I'll try to do that sooner, but my commitment is to open seven studios uh, within four years. Um, and, you know, one thing, Wes, I think I mentioned to you uh, right after our discovery day, when I went to Houston to meet with the team and other prospective franchisees, um, you know, we learned about the company, you know, we got some more presentations. We kind of got a sense of who else was looking at this investment. And there was one line in the presentation that really resonated with me. It was said by the founder and president of the company, a guy called Chris Pena, who's an awesome guy. I know you've had him on your podcast before. Um, and, you know, he told us that uh, Body 20 is uh, the analogy of our team, of our group. We, you know, we shouldn't think of us as a family. And, you know, a lot of business owners sometimes say, look, we're all, you know, we're, we're going to work together. We'll, we'll uh, help each other. You know, think of us as a family. And he said, you know what? We're not a family. <laughs> no, we don't have to have dinner with each other all the time. We don't have to call each other up and ask about our kids all the time. <laughs> yeah, we're not a family. We're a professional sports team. Mm. And that analogy really resonated with me because <laughs> I think, you know, I have my own family. I'm quite happy. Right. I didn't necessarily need another family. Yeah, I'm not, not necessarily looking for another family. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> but thanks. Yeah, thank you. But the the, the professional sports analogy really resonated you know i played sports in high school and uh, college you know my son was almost a professional athlete <laughs> um so i've always been around sports yeah and i understand uh the power of you know sports to shape people's characters and i understand how professional teams work and i understand why you know employers want to hire kids out of college who have been substantial athletes and things like that um so the team at body 20 wants to win they want to be very professional. They want to be the best in the business, right? The vision, the minor vision of Body20 is to offer franchisees like myself the single most profitable investment opportunity in the franchise universe as measured by, you know, return on investment. Yep. Okay, so that's, that's a pretty big goal. That's a very big goal. That's a very big goal. And the crazy thing, the crazy thing is that it's achievable in my opinion. Um, but the other thing that really resonated with me, of course, is that they know that the only way they can achieve that is by very much of an extreme focus on franchisee profitability. Yep. Right. Uh, they recently hired a you know, senior executive uh, who was whose sole job is to increase and optimize my EBITDA margin in my studios. How good is that? Yep. Right. So I can tell this guy, dude, here's my target. Help me achieve it. Yeah. Where, where, you know, and especially once, 
yeah, once you've got some some locations open and you've got you know some data that that person can really dive in and say, all right, here's where you know you're leaving some margin on the table. Here's where you've got opportunity to get better. And that same person is looking at every other franchise in the system. So you know you're benefiting from this this kind yeah, of shared they the, learning. They have the God view, as they say. They have the yeah. God view. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't. So and request yeah. the final thing, just one, just yeah, please, one final please. thing. Yeah. I don't want I don't want your audience to think that I invested in something without trying it out. Share um, with us. It just so happens by sheer luck that there is a mom and pop studio five minutes from my house in Buckhead that offers EMS training. So as part of my due diligence, I of course wanted to try the workout. Yeah. Obviously, you know, this wasn't going to be the, necessarily the same kind of workout as I would get with Body 20, but it was similar enough. It was the same, same concept. Yep. Um, and the results that I saw, uh, you know, in the next, in the first few months were just incredible. Like for me, uh, I've struggled, you know, with weight since I graduated college, right? I struggled with the ability to maintain a fitness regimen. Yeah. Given how little time it takes, EMS training, and given how given the personal uh, personal trainer dynamic, one on one dynamic, um, and given that you know it's a, an investment and it's, it's accountability. This has been literally the only thing that I've ever done in my entire life that I've been able to keep up with consistently and that I feel that I can keep doing consistently for the rest of my life. Yeah. Since I left college. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And, and I that remember sealed the deal. That sealed the deal. I, I remember having conversations with you were like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go try this. And then, you know, I talked to you like a week later and you're like, so I went twice and I'm sore as hell. Uh, so it feels like it's working. And then I talked to you again, like a few weeks later. And and this is, you know, not just especially I know the way body 20 does it, but I think even the the kind of independent studio that that you had been going to, it's very data driven. Right. In terms of showing the the progress that you're making. Right. I mean, there's very tangible results that you were getting that you were able to measure the progress that you're making. And so, you know, for those Gene mentioned, I've had Chris Pena, the the president and founder of Body 20 on the podcast. We'll put that episode in the show notes because Chris does a really, really good job of kind of explaining how the science and technology of this, you know, EMS um you know, fitness-based training works and why it's so efficient. Uh, but the the name Body 20 came from, you know, their their goal is that in one 20-minute workout a week, you can replace, you know, what most people are trying to do in, you know, three to four strength training sessions a week um, and get the same, if not better results. So, We'll drop a link to the the episode with Chris in the show notes for this one, uh, for folks that want to go back and listen to that. But I mean, you were you were getting these types of results, Gene, um, which obviously, you know, what better validation can you get for the the concept itself and and the technology and the fact that it works? And you know, you hit on a couple of really good things that that I just want to point out quickly. 
um, and maybe have you elaborate on a little bit more. But one of those was um, how you felt like you got in, you know, you're getting into body 20 at, at a really good time. And and I couldn't agree more with that. It's, it's kind of what I call the sweet spot, you know, in a brand's evolution where they're very much still an emerging concept. I think the technical definition of an emerging franchise concept is anything with less than a hundred locations open. Right. So, you know, by the end of this year, body 20s goal, it sounds like is to have, you know, a hundred or, or a little more locations open, but you know, from when the, t- when you actually signed your franchise agreements, very much an emerging concept, right. Which in a lot of people's yep. eyes, is is far more risky than investing in the more mature franchise brand that you know has a longer track record has a lot more data that you're able to look at in terms of franchisee performance um but i think you did a really really good job and you spoke to this a, a little bit already of how you were able to kind of you know get comfortable even though it was a more emerging concept and it was you know really digging in and getting to know the leadership Right. And understanding their track record and their background. Um, I think, you know, for you, it was also seeing the other types of franchisees that had invested and were considering investing. I mean, I know Body 20s brought in some very high caliber franchisees, all for the same type of reasons that, you know, you you like the business. So talk a little bit more, though, if you don't mind about just because just like you mentioned, you were comparing Body 20 to some other very established, very prominent brands that do have more of a track record. So how were you able to kind of, you know, justify going with something that is newer um, than some of the other options that you were looking at? Yeah, well, look, I think that, uh, look, fundamentally, I got comfortable with kind of the science you know, I pulled out, I pulled up, you know, a lot of the research that's been done on this matter, um, all of it coming out of Germany. Uh, even there, you know, there's papers out there that actually do a summary of all the research that's been out there. So I didn't have to read all research reports. I just, I could read the, you know, one research report that summarized findings across all studies across multiple years. So I kind of got comfortable with the science. I knew a bit of a, anecdotally, I knew the history of uh, EMS um, where uh, wrestlers on the Russian uh, wrestling team in the late 80s, early 90s were using that to get really, really strong. Um, and the wrestling, other countries were complaining <laughs> that the Russians were too strong and unbeatable. <laughs> I hadn't heard that. Yeah, so, you know, elite athletes in Europe use it all the time. So I kind of knew that this was kind of an elite thing for elite athletes in Europe primarily. Uh, I knew that it was quite big in Brazil. I spent a lot of time in Brazil, so it was something that I was familiar with from there. Uh, and of course, uh, I knew that this was standard operating procedure for physical rehabilitation in the U.S. I kind of felt that the value proposition of this sort of training is so, so high that there will be enough people in uh, the various you know, wealthy metro areas and suburbs in this country that would want and could afford that kind of personal training. Uh, because when compared to personal training, you know, the body 20 membership that we offer is dramatically more cost effective yes. than paying for one-on-one personal training. And lots and lots of people pay for one-on-one personal training where here, this will be more effective, more efficient, and, and, and less you know, time much more affordable. Yeah. Less time consuming and much more affordable. Yeah. So the value proposition was really, really strong. But look, I also, of course, 
took uh, as validation the fact that the 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 management team and the ownership team of Body Twenty uh, was a team that I felt was poised for success, knew what success felt like, have have done before many times in their careers, and that they wouldn't uh, really kind of be getting into this business if they didn't have a high level of confidence that they knew what it takes to bring out and grow a successful franchise concept, you know, in this market. And, you know, we're, we're, I'm glad that in this country, in the U.S., the U.S. is obviously the largest, single largest global fitness market. People spend time and money on their health. Uh, but I also felt that there was a very, very large number of folks like myself uh, and maybe certainly, you know, lots of uh, uh, moms out there as well who are not able to give their body uh, the strength training regimen that their body really needs for optimal health. Yeah. And that there's tons and tons of people in this world who aren't gym rats. Uh, They're not going to be spending, you know, hours in the gym going there, you know, three, four, five days a week, Uh, especially ladies. And we know I've learned that in boutique fitness, 70% of members are ladies. Yeah, rather than guys. Interestingly enough, so for a lot of women, uh, this is, in my opinion, really the best opportunity to reshape their bodies, to tone their bodies, and to incorporate into their very very busy routines something that is manageable on a long term basis. Moms yeah. are so busy, right? The job of a mom is so much more difficult than you know my job or your job. Yeah, right? no doubt, um, no doubt. So this product here gives moms, working moms, you know, stay-at-home moms, moms of all shapes and sizes, I think, a very, very viable opportunity uh, to address um, their health needs and fitness needs in a sustainable way. So I'm really excited about that. I know that my own wife, who hasn't worked out in a long, long time because she just didn't feel that she could put in the time, you can't wait to become a member and start her journey. Yeah, if um, I had to guess, know, I, would, I would say the number one reason that people don't stick you know, with a fitness routine is the time. I, I would say that's probably the most common reason. It's not, oh, it's hard, you know, so I don't want to do it. I think you know, there's people out there that are honestly just lazy and they're they're not going to do it because it's uncomfortable or or it hurts a little bit. But I think most people that that want to you know get into better shape, it's not you know, oh, I I don't want to go through the actual work. It's just yeah, it's making the time and finding something that they can you know consistently incorporate into their their normal routine um, and their busy schedules and. You know, so I think it's, you know, it's the moms who, yeah, absolutely have the hardest job on the planet, in my opinion. But, you know, it's also the the executive, right? Like yourself, yep. that's, you yep. know, was was working 80 to 100 hours a week and traveling all the time. And, you know, clearly those type of people have the the mentality of being willing to do the work that it takes to get the results. It's more of just a time thing. So this is definitely an efficient uh, sustainable option for that. And, and yeah. body 20 is, is really kind of the pioneer in the industry, but 
you know, I, I think you did a really good job, you know, when, when you were, cause you and I had a lot of conversations, right. And as you alluded earlier, it wasn't the, probably the easiest decision that you've ever, you know, made in your life to go with body 20 over some of the other options that you were looking at. Um, but you did a really good job of getting to know, you know, the leadership team at body 20. I know you had some pretty extensive discussions with them around, you know, their vision for the brand and, and, you know, what they wanted to build it into long-term. And, you know, it seemed that that aligned with your vision. Um, and I know you've also done a really good job of talking to other owners, uh, that are already involved with body 20, both before and after signing. And, you know, it seems like you feel pretty confident that those are the types of people that, that you want to, you know, have in your network, right? Because, you know, when you're evaluating a franchise, you're evaluating a partnership, right? You know, you're partnering with the franchise or so obviously you need to feel like there's trust there. You need to have confidence in their ability, you know, to execute on what, what they're responsible for as the franchise or they're looking at you too, right? It's, it's a two way street when you're looking at a really good franchise business that gets it, they're evaluating you. They want to feel confident that, you know, you're going to be a good fit for them and you're going to represent their brand well, and that you have the ability to execute on your responsibilities as a franchisee. Um, but I think where a lot of people, you know, maybe don't spend enough time and energy. And, and I think, again, you did a good job with this is, you know, getting to know the other franchisees and, Hey, are these people that are like-minded to me or these people that, you know, I feel like I can benefit from being around and, and hopefully add value to as well. But man, there is so much potential value and, you know, being a franchisee with a system where the other franchise owners are driven like you're driven and have the same type of goals that you have. And I mean, you can't really put a dollar amount on it necessarily when you're, you know, doing the due diligence and, you know, building out your financial models. But man, if you get into a system where there's other like-minded franchisees and there's a culture of sharing and, you know, this mentality of rising tide floats all boats, there's so much, so much value that can come with that. And so, you know, I remember you sharing with me that based on conversations you had had with other franchisees and even the people that you met at Discovery Day that were were considering investing, you know, you felt really good about the the other franchisees as well. And I think that's really for important. Sure. For sure. And look, uh, the, the validation uh, that comes from conversations with franchisees is often the most important. Because yep. based on regulatory reasons, there's a limited amount of information, financial information, that a franchisor can share with you. Correct. Right. Most of that information that they are able to share with you is limited to what's published in their uh, FDDs. Yep. Our franchise disclosure documents. Um, but the franchisees don't have those restrictions. Um, so the franchisees are open and willing to help prospects evaluate a brand, they would typically share what they can on the performance of the company, their challenges, their actual budgets, and so on and so forth. So uh, that is obviously very, very important for any franchisee uh, candidate to, to get that information from fellow franchisees because they just can't get it <laughs> elsewhere. They're just not, not available. So that's important. It is. Um, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I think um, 
I did just end up taking that risk. I did end up getting comfortable. Um, and again, my goal is also not to necessarily stay with seven locations in Metro Atlanta. My goal is that if I can prove that I am a good operator, if I can prove that I can hire a good team, uh, my team can execute, uh, then I would be you know, very open to continuing to grow this business with Body 20 in other geographic areas. Yep. And that's the beauty of, of the type of model you know, that body 20 runs this, this executive model. And and you mentioned this earlier that, you know, in, in the research that, that you were doing early on, it became clear to you that, you know, it would be ideal to start whatever concept you landed on in the market that you live in or, and spend the most time in right now, right? You have a place in, in South Florida. So, you know, initially we were talking about, you know, options that could be done in, in Florida, and or Atlanta. And, and you kind of, you know, said, I, I think we need to focus on something that I can get started here in Atlanta. But, you know, once, once you really know the model and once you've got locations open and successfully running in the Atlanta area where you are now, this very much is the type of business that lends itself to expansion into other markets where you don't necessarily have to, to live the whole time. And it's because, it's really designed from the ground up to be that executive model. So, you know, I think that fits in really nicely with some of your goals around, you know, scalability and and really being able to build a substantial business. And, you know, the other thing that I remember us having conversations about is, you know, this is a business that that helps people with their their health and wellness, right? So there's any number of options that at some point in the future, if you really wanted to look at continuing to grow KLW Capital, right? I mean, you could look at any number of different types of franchises that could have synergies with Body 20 and and you know cater to the client base that you've built there. So I think you've done a really good job of putting yourself in a position today where you know you've got a good game plan to execute on you know the licenses that you have already for body 20 and then you've given yourself numerous paths that you could take you know when the time is right to to really focus on you know how do i want to keep growing and and scaling you know your your enterprises so absolutely i mean they're private equity firms right in this world that have that invest not just in brands or franchisors, they invest in location franchisee level businesses. Yep. And there are private equity firms that may have, you know, 50, 100, 150 locations of a particular brand in a particular market. I'm not a private equity firm. I'm a smaller guy, but, you know, maybe I'll have, you know, 20 or 30 locations at some point, you know, 10 years down the road of uh, one or more brands. Who knows? And that would be, you know, a reasonable outcome for this particular project. Yep. I love the vision and, you know, you're the guy to execute on that, you know, if you set your mind to it. So look, you've, you've shared so much good information today. I know I've kept you for a while. Um, you know, we've already talked about this, but you know, I'm going to, I want to have you back for a part two of this interview at some point. Um, you know, you've already told the audience, you've got seven licenses that you're committed to opening over the next four years. Um, I know you're working pretty aggressively to to get all of those open as quickly as possible. So, um, 
share just kind of real quickly share with us, you know, where you are in the process of getting your first couple of locations open. And then what I want to do is make sure we have you back on at some point in the future, once you do have, uh, you know, at least one or two of your, your first studios open. So you can talk to us a little more about, you know, what it looks like once you're actually open and operating with your, your body 20 studios. No, I look forward to coming back as soon as I can, my friend. Um, um, so look, uh, the exciting part, you know, the exciting part after you sign your agreements and everything like that, uh, is actually to get down to business, which is real estate search. Since I have, you know, seven, uh, areas in Metro Atlanta, I was, you know, relatively agnostic also in terms of where I start. It really depends on the availability of real estate. Yeah. Some franchisees who buy a single territory or two territories, if nothing's available in those territories, they're sitting. in a holding pattern. Yeah. They're in a holding pattern. Real estate is tough. Uh, you know, you tell landlords or retail companies that there's a recession or maybe a recession. And it's like, what recession? You know, things are <laughs> strong. Things are booming. Space is not really generally available, especially in Atlanta and the good areas of Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, so I was a little bit lucky. I found one space fairly early in the process, and now I'm at the tail end of negotiating an LOI for that space. If I get that LOI done, which may happen in the next week or so, then uh, I could see myself opening that first location in the July-August timeframe. And uh, I, 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 I did not hit any uh, – I didn't get any luck yet on location number two. But just over the last, you know, 24 hours, uh, two opportunities came up that I'm sort of pursuing quite unexpectedly. After being told that there's nothing available, nothing available, nothing available, <laughs> something <laughs> may be available. Also, you know, it's not, let's say, perfect. Uh, these locations have to be bigger than what I actually need. But, uh, you know, I may have no choice. So you have to be a little bit flexible also. Yeah. You know, there's an ideal uh size for a body Square footage. studio. Yeah. yeah. But if that ideal size is not available, uh, you know, and you can't really go smaller, you, you may have to go bigger. So you may have to spend a little bit more money than you initially uh, hoped for rent or well, build out in, in some if you cases, want the right location. Yeah. Flexibility I think is key with the real estate, you know, especially in markets like Atlanta where it's I mean everything's booming, right? But you know, in some cases, um going bigger you know could actually increase the the ceiling though in terms of how much total revenue a, a no question could do in no a year question. so you no know, question. long term no question. could be good correct and that's the kind of stuff that i'm working through with uh body 20 corporate to figure out if i go for a bigger space and invest more um you know how much additional sort of uh membership you know can i expect in a studio like that or squeeze out if you will right and can i generate the incremental revenue to cover those incremental costs to make sure that i maintain or increase my margins and you're absolutely right uh there's some places that i'm looking at where the studio can be very large um and it happens to be in a market that could support a studio that would generally be larger than most other locations in yeah. most metro areas so you know so you do have to be flexible so this is the exciting part. Um, I'm getting ready to start uh, probably looking for my first you know, studio manager. So I'll get into the recruiting process probably uh, in the next uh, three, four weeks. So it's, you know, it's real business. Real yeah. business. It's, <laughs> it's time for the rubber to hit the road, right? I mean, 
it's it's always interesting for me, right? Because I work with so many different types of people, you know, where we go through this process and, you know, they get into a business and it's always interesting for me to see, you know, how they respond once the the research phase is over, right? Because the the majority of the research phase, it's all theoretical at that point, right? I mean, and, and a lot of people, it starts to become really real, you know, when they're flying out to, you know, discovery day to meet with the franchisor or, you know, franchise agreements hit their inbox and it's time to actually, you know, sign paperwork and wire money. For a lot of other people, it doesn't really get real until they find themselves like, you know, sitting in a training class or, you know, starting to look at real estate. Um, so it's always interesting for me to see how people, you know, respond when it really is time to start getting down to work. And, you know, I've gotten to know you well enough at this point, Gene, I know, uh, you will execute and, um, it's going to be a lot of fun for, for me to, you know, watch you build your, your body 20 empire and, and see where it goes from there. But, um, man, I really appreciate you making the time to come on here and just, you know, share a little bit of your story and, and your experience with the audience. I know, um, anyone listening to this, a lot of the, what you've shared will, will resonate. Um, and we will have you come back on for a part two at some point. So you can share a little bit more with us, but, um, appreciate everything that you've done for me. Like I said, I've learned a lot from you and, and uh, value the friendship and, and the relationship that we've developed. And I'm here to help in any way that I can, man. Listen, I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, like I said, I wish, uh, I wish I met you earlier, <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. So we can't change the, we, we can't change the past, but we, you know, the future. we can look to the future, my man. Um, yeah. Well, listen, thanks again for all your help. Uh, you're very instrumental in uh, helping me through this process. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I couldn't have done this without you, my friend. So, hey, it's been an be absolute happy to come pleasure. Back. Been an absolute pleasure. All right, Gene, thanks so much. Right. Um, if you're good with it, I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out to you and, and maybe pick your brain a little bit. But um, and then we'll drop the, the episode with Chris Pena on Body 20 in the show notes as well. And, sure, uh, sure. Be happy to. Okay. Be happy to. Excellent. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path the number 2 frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at path, the number two frdm.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.